So he's ready to move on your behalf today. I don't know what you came in need of. I don't know what you came carrying. I don't know what you even may have come to just lay at his feet. But I can tell you he's here to meet you where you are. Because today is a day that he desires to change your life. What are you talking about? I'm saved. I didn't say you what. I'm saying there can still be change take place in our lives because he's continually dressing the vine. He's continually uh, changing us to make us more like him. So I don't know what bondage that some of us may have entangled ourselves again with. But I can promise you today he's here to remove that. He's here. It's already been broken. As a matter of fact, he's there's nothing you got to do except receive the liberty and freedom that He desires to give. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to wrestle. You don't have to do anything. And victory's already been afforded at Calvary's cross. I'm going to preach before I start preaching. I'm t I hope you listen. I've been excited today. They, the kids walked in and they thought there was a concert going on in my office. I was in there just pumping some some music and I was having me a good old time in the Lord. What do you just by myself because he's that good. I've been reading his word this morning and when I read his word it excites me. I don't need anything else to excite me because his word is true. It's alive and it's well and it's moving and operating and and, and acting on in my life. So today I hope you come ready to receive from the Lord. We're going to receive our tithe and offering this morning. If you have it, you can bring it down. If you don't have cash and you want to give with a card, we'll take it out there on the square. Um, and all of those good things that come along with it. But uh, there you go. There's my spill. said, y'all need to play good old gospel shit for the offering. Y'all don't know that old song, do you? Man, I'm going to tell you what, growing up in the, uh, oh, Children's Church is dismissed, by the way, unless y'all want to stay and hear me, it's all right. Dennis and Leslie and Ben and Rhonda need a break from, God bless them for last night. Uh, for those of you who dropped your kids off, they are taking donations, preferably in the form of 20 or more. <laughs> No, they're not. 
I mean, they will, but they, they didn't ask for it. Uh, Noah and Hope, if you're wondering where they are, they're uh, in Tennessee celebrating their one-year anniversary. They made it. Hope put up with Noah for a year, and Noah put up with Hope for a year. Miracles still happen. Well, they're both great people, and uh, we're excited that they were able to get away. And uh, they've been sending us videos and pictures, and Noah's so excited because he's getting to do the touristy stuff, which we never do when we go anywhere because we just kind of chill out. We're always on the go, so we just kind of, when we get somewhere, we like to just crash. And uh, he was, they were, I don't know if they went to the Titanic, I don't know what all they're doing up there, but anyway, they're up there, so uh, that's where they are, and uh, they didn't get mad and leave and quit, they're just away celebrating, so happy anniversary to you tomorrow uh, will be their actual anniversary, so uh, we're proud of them. Uh, this morning, turning your word to 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 22. We're going to be in a lot of places, but just 1 Samuel 16, you can stay there. Um, I have been, uh, I must admit to you, um, there are times when we let our emotions get the best of us, and yesterday was one of those days for me. I was just fired up from the floor to the ceiling, uh, and uh, everywhere in between, but uh, nonetheless... <laughs> I made it, and praise God, I'm here. The, Lord's, the Lord has uh, searched me and, and whipped me and all the things in between, but praise God, I made it. Um, I want to encourage you, and I wouldn't, he, he didn't ask me and, and, and has never mentioned, but I want to encourage you guys. Um, there's a book that I, I got, and, uh, and I don't normally do this, but I ordered it, and it's a, a brother by the name of Michael Jakes that watches a lot of our uh, podcasts and sermons or, or messages, and, and a great man of God. But uh, I, I got his book, and I'm reading it. It's the, the, the Lord, The Light in the Window. And it's about evangelism. It's not a, it's not a story. It's, it's the gospel. And it's the importance of evangelism. It's the importance of why we do what we do. And I want to encourage all of you guys. If you want to be encouraged and you want to be uh, a challenged, order the book. I don't ever tell people to do this, but I'm telling you, he, he's not getting rich off of it. He's not looking to make fortune or fame. I'm telling you, it's, it's just the scripture, full of the word of God. Uh, but it's a, it's a great, uh, I was reading it, I read it, and I've been encouraged. And it really, and I told the worship team this morning, um, it really brought back to light uh, why we do what we do. And uh, just the importance, the importance of preaching the gospel, nothing else, no games, no gimmicks, just the gospel, just the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there's, there's nothing that we need to do to hype it up or dress it up. And, and I thank God that the word enough, the word alone is enough to make me happy, make me want to shout, make me glad. And the word of God should in itself be enough to make you uh, jump for joy. Hello? When we read in the beginning, we ought to be happy because we know who, who, who created the beginning. God said. And if God said, let there be light, there was light, and the very creation obeyed Him, what in the world is our problem? What's our problem? We come, we sit in His presence, we sing about Him, and, and we talk about Jesus, and, and you don't have to just say His name, and, and we get all giddy and happy inside. And, and, but but what's, our, what's our, our life after or our, our, our 
lives going to be like after we walk out of these doors? Did we come this morning to be changed? Did we come this morning to allow the Word of God to challenge us, to make us uncomfortable? Listen, we say this all the time. The, the Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. But it's going to offend you first. It's going, it's going to mess you up. I prayed that this morning, Lord, mess up our schedule. Mess it up. Why? Because I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to have anything to do with, with hindering the moving and operating of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I, I want to lay some groundwork here, and it's nothing that you probably don't know, but just in case you don't or do, I'm going to reiterate and, and, and familiarize uh, uh, you with this anyway. Uh, David, we, we know his story. We know about him. We talk about him. We, we, we say this, and I re refer this or reference this a lot, and we say, uh, man, he had a heart after God, and he did. The Word says that. But, but David also said, create in me a clean heart. He desired change to take place because he knew in himself he was a train wreck. He was anointed, but in himself he was a train wreck. The, the prophet Samuel, he, he knew that Saul or knows that Saul and his descendants will, they won't continue or, or will not continue to rule Israel. So, so he sets out and he looks for, a, for another candidate, if you will. He knew it wasn't going to last forever, and he sat down and he looked for another candidate, and he was guided by God, and Samuel finds himself calling on a man named Jesse. And, and he knew this is where he would find the next great king. How did he know this? The Holy Spirit led him there. I want to tell you something. It's imperative that you be obedient to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of you prayed today when you woke up, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my understanding. Holy Spirit, anoint my ear to hear your word, my heart to receive what you have. Lord, anoint, I know that you've laid the path out before me, and if I dare take a step to the right or left and you ain't said go, please, Lord, keep me straight. You're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to begin at verse 1. I'll read through verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? <coughs> Isn't it funny how the Lord gets your attention? Why are you crying? He wasn't, he wasn't supposed to be king anyway. People want him. I, I gave him what they wanted. I got something better coming. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him for the reigning of, over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. And a lot of people need to hear this. Fill your horn with oil. I'm not talking about literal oil. I'm talking about being anointed by the Holy Spirit and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Beth Bethlehemite, for I have provided me, uh, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, "How can I go if Saul hear it? He'll kill me." Isn't it funny when the Lord tells us to do something, we always got to question him? <laughs> Don't you think if he told you to go, he's already made the way? And if it, if anything ever does come up your way, he already knows it's coming, and he has handled it before you even faced it. He's the author and finisher. He knew the end before you ever started. So why in the world are we a question of God? Samuel said, how can I go? If so hear me, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I come uh, to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do and you shall anoint unto me him whom I name unto you. In other words, I'm going to show you exactly who it is. Samuel did that which the Lord spoke, and he came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? 
He said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. <coughs> and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is, anointed is before him. We always think we know what's best. We think we know who is right. We think we know who should or should not be used. We think we're going to put the candidate first. But the Lord always sees something different. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not at his countenance or the height or his stature, because I refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Praise God for that. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and he made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. And Jesse uh, made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And I wonder what Jesse was thinking. Jesse knew he had another son. But Jesse thought that boy wasn't good enough. Because he's just a little old red-headed boy out in the, out in the field uh, tending my sheep. He's just out there. The Lord, I thought I needed to bring my best. Let me tell you something. The best is probably the, the thing that you may have left. That you didn't bring with you. Samuel said to Jesse, are here all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he keeps the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him. For we'll not sit down till he come hither. I wonder, I wonder, I mean, I, I, this is how I think when I read the Word of God. I wonder what Samuel was thinking. Man, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you wasting time? And he said, and he brought him, and now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And I know I said I was going to read through 10, but I'm going to go into verse 13. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord was on David because he was anointed. He was chosen by the Lord God Almighty himself. He was about 15 at this time, and after David was anointed, the Spirit, or the anointing, or what, what have you, left Saul. It was with David. If you go to verse 19 in, in chapter 16, you read, and it's, it's talking about Saul sending for David. Mind you, David was already anointed king. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and he said, Send me David your son, which is with the sheep. <coughs> Don't you find it ironic that David was anointed king, but he was still tending the flock? I find it intriguing that he was already the, the anointed the king, but he was in the field, back in the field, tending the sheep, in verse 22 of, of chapter uh, 16, Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray you, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Verse 23 says, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, and David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul refreshed, uh, was refreshed and, and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. This is a picture of God's sovereignty. God is merciful and gracious to those, even those who will not obey Him. And you better be glad, and I am so thankful He is. Because there ain't none of us in this place perfect. There ain't none of you guys watching, or will watch, are perfect. 
this is the first verse that the, the, the God, the, uh, the, that's mentioned of God using uh, or the use of music for worship. This is the first time worship, in an essence, for music and form of music was was uh, referenced for for refreshing and healing. Why was it refreshing and healing? Because the one who played was anointed. I have said it, and I stole this from my mama. And I used to hear her say it all the time. If it's not anointed, it's annoying. Sit down and be quiet. If we're, not, if we're just up here showing off our talents, if we're just up here preaching because I've got good skills to articulate words, I can put together a story to make Avon's hair stand up. If that's only the reason I'm here, I need to sit down and shut my pie hole. Y'all might not call it a pie hole, but that's what I call it. We have groomed preachers to preach a feel-good message. We have groomed musicians to put on a show to, to tickle your fancy, if you will, and to make you feel good so you can walk out of this place in worse shape than you were when you came because now you just have more stuff to cover your, sh your shame and sin and guilt up with. We have, we have been a mandate on our life by Christ, to, as disciples, to follow Him. But He said, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Oh, so all we know, uh, we, we know the story of Goliath, and I'm not going to take you all through that. We know what happened there. We, we understand. But I want to key in, in in chapter 17 on three verses, 37, 38, and 39. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Remember, David had been in the field, tending the sheep, tending the flock. He was already anointed king. Why was he in the field, tending the sheep and tending the flock? Maybe it was because the Lord had placed him there to prove to him that I have called you, I will keep you, I will protect you, even when the bear or lion comes, I will deliver you. Because if you've never encountered trouble, you don't know what deliverance feels like. If you've never encountered sickness, you don't understand the necessity and the joy of healing. If we have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we don't understand the power that's in the blood of Jesus. Verse 38 <laughs> says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with a coat of mail. Verse 39, here's much of the church, and these two verses wrapped up. And David girded his sword and his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. Can I tell you, somebody needs to hear this this morning. You've been wearing Saul's armor for too long. It had never, never slayed a Philistine. It has never killed a Goliath. It has never defeated a devil. And it never will because it has not been proved by God. There is one way and it is God's way. And it is found in His Word and it is found through Christ Jesus. So David said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put your armor on because it ain't doing nothing but for show. We wonder what's missing in the church today. We wonder what, what has happened. We do talk about the days of old. We miss the days of old. We talk about those things, but today is a new day. God has not changed. His anointing has not changed. His power has not changed. His healing has not changed. The blood has not changed, but the church has changed. And in fact, you find in Jeremiah that we've committed two evils. We've forsaken the fountain of living water, and we've hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns. 
We have. The church has. Why? Because we want to feel good. We want to look good. In essence, we want to fight with Saul's armor. Can I tell you something? God don't need any of that. He don't want you to have any of that on. If he does, then he'll put it on you. He'll tell you or whatever. But I'm telling you, if you can go down there and imagine this, a red-headed man walking up to the edge of a, a, a cliff, if you will, and looking across the valley and marching down armed with a sling and five stones. I don't want what they won't use. Because they don't work anyway. The flesh will try to hinder faith by clothing it in unbelief. Hello, somebody. The flesh will try to hinder the faith, your faith, by clothing it in unbelief. Well, I just don't know if this can happen. Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul knows, he'll kill me. Saul said, my, basically in essence, man, good luck. You're about to get messed up. How can we do this? This just don't seem feasible. It don't seem possible. I'm going to tell you right now, if God said it, you can take it to the bank. And it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but God's timing is always perfect. Listen to me clearly. I know what I'm talking about. We know what we're talking about. 17 years after God spoke what He spoke to our hearts, it happened in August of 2013. That's when we came here. 17 years! So don't tell me God's not faithful. But for 17 years, we, I, I'm not going to speak for summer, would put on soul's armor and I would look good and I would run around and I would try to do this and that and everything else in between and nothing ever worked. By the way, the, the message, the title, if you're into that kind of thing, is the cave or the castle. I chose to live in the castle. It's where I wanted to be. Soul's armor will not defeat anything. Never has, never will. But yet the church keeps putting it on. You keep on. We learn new slogans. We come up with new ways. And we, we come up with all these things. I find it ironic. And this really is the Lord uh, reading uh, the, the, the book that uh, the Lord inspired Michael to, to author and, and, and write. The, some of the things that he put in there. I was like, Lord, it's just like me and Summer have been talking about this. And we just wrote this stuff down ourselves. And, and it's sad. It makes you sad because people get caught up in all the good stuff. Good saying good. It's good for a hashtag or a slogan or, or a t-shirt or, or whatever you want to call it. It just looks good. I want to tell you something. The only thing that works is the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. You go into chapter 18 in 1 Samuel. You go to verse 8. I'm going there. Saul was very angry and, and the saying displeased him and he said they have ascribed unto David 10,000 and they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Saul knew his days were numbered. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had departed from Saul. I want to tell you right now, the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. And it also tells you if God is for us, then who can or shall be against us. It also tells us that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. It also tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord has raised a standard that is against him. What is the standard? That is Jesus Christ. That is the blood. It can't be crossed, that line. You go into chapter 21 in 1 Samuel. And I know we're, we're scurrying through, but I'm getting somewhere. You go to chapter 21 in 1 Samuel. 
<coughs> and David had fled from Saul, who was trying to kill him, and obviously forgetting that he had been anointed, he was forgetting the very uh, words that he said, that the, the, the Lord delivered me from the paw, the lion, and the, and the bear. This is what he had said to Saul. Now he had forgotten, and he was running from Saul. He was running when he didn't need to run, so he ended up a place where he should not have been. I'm going to tell you something. When you leave the will of God, when you walk out of the house, you will always end up in a place where you don't belong. And it's never good. Never. A life of running will exhaust you, it will terrify you, it will frustrate you, it will leave you helpless, hopeless, and empty, and you're in a place where you should have never been to begin with, all because you forgot whose you were. David hadn't only fled when he didn't have to, he even started lying to cover up why it was there. Sound like people, right? Can I ask a question? If alcohol is such a great thing and it's so good, why you got to put it in a brown bag when you walk out of the store? My, I, this, how do you say this? I about said disnaney, but I knew that wasn't right. I just walked right on out. And I, I'm like, hey. We cover stuff up. We hide stuff. I'm going to tell you something right now. You can hide anything you want from anybody you want, but you're not hiding from the Lord. You will not hide it from God Almighty. So he ended up in a place he didn't need to be. He was lying to cover up why he was there. Man, I remember I used to do some stupid... Well, I, imagine that. I used to do some stupid stuff. It's probably far-fetched. It's not far-fetched at all. It's true. I still do stupid stuff. But I, I, I told you, uh, you know, we lie to cover things up. And I had gotten in some trouble, and I won't go into detail what it was, but I got myself in trouble when I was uh, 17 years old. My mom and dad were on vacation, not vacation, they just went to get away, and I was like, man, yeah. So live it up, woo-woo! I was supposed to be at somebody's house. Another friend came over. We didn't end up at that house. It was at another house. Some things transpired. And this, I couldn't take this guy. I took this guy. Was going to, we were going to go back to my house. And we pull up my mom and dad's cars in the drive. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord Jesus. So they want to know where I was at. I told them where I was at. They said, my daddy said, you lying, son. I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, yeah, you are because we went there. I was like, mommy, you been praying. Was y'all praying or something? But I lied like a dog to cover up what I was doing. And they knew anyway. We always do this. We find ourselves in a place we don't need to be, in a predicament we shouldn't be in anyway, all because we walked away from where the Lord desired us to be. But then we lie to cover it up. He fled to Gath, which was where the enemies, those were the enemies of God. He was anointed to be king. He knew that God delivered him from the bear, the lion. He knew all of this. He was terrified of Saul. He fled to the land of Gath. And he shouldn't have even been there, but he lied to cover up why he was. In chapter 21, verse 13, <coughs> David even changed his behavior. 
because he didn't want them to know what was going on. He changed his behavior before them, and he feigned himself mad in their hands, and he scrabbled on the doors of the gate and left spit, and let spittle fall upon the face of his beard. This man had done gone crazy, all to cover up him running from the Lord. Sin will take you to a place you never desired to be, and then you'll find yourself in a place that you think you can get you out of. No, you can't. You will not. Hear me clear, and I know I make people mad every time I say this. I don't care how many steps you take. Without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life, you can take one or one million steps, and it will never change you. Ever. Ever. We have taught people to be dependent upon other people or upon philosophies or programs and we've drawn them away from the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So they find themselves making themselves who they are not to try to be something they were not called to be, to be in a place that they don't desire to be in. David had went from the upright to that downright crazy. He had ran into the corner and he was an extremely low point in his life. And this is what happens when you depart from the faith. People want to argue you can't leave the faith. Well, the Bible says that you will. Not you, but some will. You can't leave something you didn't ever have. David had to act crazy to to be let go from a place that he should have never been. You can read all of this, and I'm not going to read it all for time's sake. But here's where I want to focus. When you come to chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, David therefore departed thence, and he escaped to a cave, Adullam. And as when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Verse 2, I want you to look at everybody who came. Everyone that was in distress... Everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, to, to uh, gather themselves unto him, and he became captain over them. And there was with him about 400 men. God will take you to a place and allow you to go, or allow you to go to a place of pure isolation to get your attention at times. Adullam, in Hebrew, it means refuge. David had lied. He had changed his behavior. He was running when he should not have ran. But God, in his grace, his mercy, and his sovereignty, allowed him to go to a place of refuge. David had escaped the cave, to the cave of refuge. He was tired of running and acting crazy, and he finally came to this cave of refuge that's called Adullam. And David knew he was anointed to be king, so, so did Saul and everyone else. But he was uh, at peace and willing to wait for God's timing. I'm not going to try to expedite it. I don't want to speed it up. I just want to wait. I want to sit in your presence. I want to hear from you. I want to consecrate. I want to throw myself down at your feet. And Lord, I want to know every step I take is ordered by you. I want to know that every word that comes out of my mouth is bringing your name glory or pointing somebody back to you. Lord, I don't want to do what I think is right. I want to do what I know is your will. 
David was hiding from the enemy. But this cave was more than a hiding place. It was a place of refuge. It was also a place of growth, training, and training as he waited on the Lord. There's nothing wrong with waiting. A lot of danger has come into uh, uh, our lives, uh, not our lives, but the church, because a, a, an individual miraculously and gloriously is saved, and that's fantastic. And then we put a microphone in their hand and tell them to go preach the house down. And the danger is, and I've, I've said this before, a danger is you're just spraying bullets and you don't know what you're spraying at. There's a great word that's been going around, and people like to use it because, because they like to say uh, that so many people are irresponsible. Let me tell you what's irresponsible. Having access to the Word of God and refusing to read it. That's the most irresponsible thing that anybody in this world could ever do. But yet, they'll call everything else irresponsible to cover up their tracks. The church has become so irresponsible. We have access to the Word of God, to the, to the key that everybody's looking for, and we fail to eat. For some of you today, this is the first time that you've eaten since Wednesday. And I'm not here to throw darts at you. I'm here to challenge you because shame on us. For some of us, this is the only time we'll eat this week. Shame on us. You're starving to death. And you wonder why your life is in such an array. So he's in this cave. He's in this place of refuge. And these people come. And when, the, when this, the, this, this takes place and the Lord will take us from all distractions, he'll remove us from our comfort zone even. He'll even sometimes take things from us that seem absolutely of most importance. He'll take sometimes take our jobs away. I know. When he was kicked, he'll kick all of our standards and all of our expectations out from under us to let us know I am all that you need. Period. Saul sat in the comfort on the throne in the castle. And David finally found his place of refuge in the cave. But the fact of the matter is that most believers had rather be in the castle. Because it's nice. It has the comforts. Whatever comes. I've never been in it. I mean, have we ever been in a castle? I don't know. I built a sand castle, but I didn't, I didn't go in it. He was rejected. Saul was rejected of God, but refused to submit to him. And this, unfortunately, is the way that we sometimes will find ourselves. Knowing that the Lord does not take pleasure in our life, but we will not submit ourselves. We want what he has. We want what we know is true, but we will not because we will not surrender. I'm going to take it all the way back to when Terrence preached some time ago. Victory is won. Through, well, victory's already won, but victory comes through surrender, not wrestling. We would prefer to be comfortable in our castle and outside of God's will than to be content with the cave under His anointing. I don't care what kind of castle you live in, if God hadn't placed you there, you're not in a good place. Even sometimes being caught up in the pleasure of sin in order to avoid the discomfort that might be involved and having it removed from us. 
Because the Lord does not humiliate you. He humbles us. To show us the error of our way. A lot of us are afraid to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. He already knows anyway. Listen. I guess I used to be a master, and I've I, I, I never preached a message on this, and I, I told Terrence one day I would, but this phrase come to me, I was a master of illusion, but I wasn't full of nobody. I thought I was full of I wasn't full of God. It seems that most of the time the greatest blessings come when we're outside the camp. David was taking refuge in the cave, but he was still the king, and Christ was despised and he was rejected, but he was still the king of kings. And it was, uh, if we are identified in Christ, and if you are a born-again uh, Christian, you are, your identity is in Christ, and if that be the case, then guess what? You will be rejected. You will be despised. Why? Because of Christ that's in you. We're not good enough for that. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Not meaning He's going to place you up on a pedestal and say, Hey, look at me. Look, I'm even cable. Hey, hey, hey. No. He'll put you where He desires that you be. We are in essence in the cave and, and triumph is coming, but we continue, when we continue His work of humility and patience, suffering with Him outside the camp of the world until the trumpet sounds. So in this text, David represents, if you will, the rejected Christ. The house of Saul is a type of worldliness, if you will. Worldly religion, having a form but not the power thereof. What was missing? The Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of houses of worship that have no power. If David would have stayed in Saul's house, there would have been no perception of a need of, of, for separation in the minds of people. You are judged by the company that you keep. What are you talking about? People who are outside the church, they don't understand the church, they don't understand what the church is, by the way, it's not this building, you know that, it's you and I, but they don't understand that. They don't know Jesus, and they have no knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They don't care one bit about the will of God, but as they look, and as they hear us who call ourselves believers, yes, they watch our lives, they judge us by the company that we keep. What are you talking about? What you indulge in. What you engage in. And when they see no difference in them and whom you surround yourself with, then the question is up, why do I need this Jesus? Because nothing's different. Salvation will tell on you. Period. If nobody knows anything's different about you, then you need to ask the Lord to change you. When they look at the church body and they witness gossip, gossip and judgmentalism and, and condemnation and formalism and ritual, but no love and peace, they will see no need whatsoever to separate themselves. 
because all they see is what they already know just in a formal fashion. We get mad when people talk about the church. <laughs> Why are you talking about the church? You're a part of the church. I am part of the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. But if we can't be real and bring to front what is the, the, the issue, the issue is not the world, the issue is the church. The church expects the government to make decisions based off the word of God. Well, if the blood of Jesus Christ is not covering your life, and the Holy Spirit is not leading and directing your decisions, they're not going to line up with God's word. But then we become all, all in a tizzy and tore up, and, and we can't... Listen, our mandate, our obligation, and our privilege is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a lot of us have got to get out of the castle of, comfort, of, of being comfortable and find a place of refuge and get alone with the Lord. They see no need to separate themselves from the life they're living in order to join what you have because what you have is no different. It's just got Jesus tapped onto it. They'll shrug their shoulders and they'll say, I don't see a difference. What am I going to waste my time for? Today, after service, when you go to a restaurant, you'll see people dressed up. You know they've been at church. Some of the most rude, obnoxious people you ever saw in your life. Run the waiter and waitress to death and then give them a $10 track. I've told you. For the love of God, don't do that. Treat them like you want to be treated and be respectful. If the people of Israel had only uh, 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 the picture of David coming and going freely from Saul's house and, and in apparent peace and harmony with Saul, then, then David would have been no different than Saul. They would have seen no need for change. But the very moment that David, David separated himself from Saul and, and chose rather to be an outcast, rejected by men, than connected to one rejected of God, then no one could remain neutral. It was a very clear choice that had to be made. Who chose? Not who we thought. Not the theologians and the scribes and the Pharisees. Not those religious folks. Go back to chapter 22, verse 2. This is us. When I, say, when I say we're a body of who, this is us. The very ones that cho chose to, I'm going to go, and we're, this is what we're going to, I'm going to go and, and, and separate myself. I want to know who, the, the distressed, those that are in debt, the one that was discontented, they gathered themselves under, unto him, and he became a captain over him, over them. About 400 of them. Can you imagine, ready to start your ministry, and Lord, you're going to send me a great team, and this is who he sends? <laughs> For real, God? Why would he do this? Can I tell you something? When you've hit the bottom of your barrel, you know there ain't nowhere else to go, and you know exactly what you need. You ain't playing games. You ain't trying to fool nobody, and you ain't, you ain't playing charades. I'm real, I'm raw, I'm stripped down, and I'm hungry for Jesus. And I just want to give you all that I got, and all I got is Him. 
Everyone who is in distress, everyone who is dead, everyone who is discontented. If you look at this as Christ or the church who came seeking comfort, counsel, and direction, the distressed, the dead, or the discontented, Jesus told the Pharisees, it's the sick who need a physician. If you're not aware of your need, you will not be inclined to seek the cure. If you think you're good, then you're in a bad place. If people can't see Christ in you, which, by the way, there is a massive difference, then why would they see the need to change? The distressed, the people who are under a great deal of stress and pressure, that's everywhere. What am I going to do? Man, I don't know. Tax time. Some of us owe taxes. <laughs> what am I going to do? I don't, know. I don't know. The cars are breaking down. We're stressed. We're under pressure. How are we going to make it? How are we going to make ends meet? What if, what if this? What if that? What if, what if, what if? What if we surrendered our lives to Christ and said, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you can. The distressed, those in debt, those who were, those were people who borrowed against the land or, and, 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 and freedom in hopes to get uh, out of poverty. And, and in this time, uh, those were debtors, there were debtors' prisons. They were desperate. <coughs> they were desperate. And then the discontented means uh, basically this, bitter souls. So many of us can relate to this, and, and I know what it's like to be disappointed by the very ones that I love, let down by those that I've trusted with, with, with no relief in sight, and, and it's so intense of a, of a feeling of revenge that your soul becomes bitter because bitterness begins to take root in your life, and you feel the shoes that you didn't want to feel. And then you think you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that light's only a train to come down through the tunnel and just run you right back over Bitter souls are everywhere, and yes, even in the church. And we ask ourselves, will this stay, or will this go? And it depends on where we run, to the cave or to the castle. A lot of us find our hope in the comforts of life. We find our hope in our, 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 our stability, in the comforts of things. And I want to tell you something, I don't care. And if God has blessed you with things, praise God for that. Now listen, I'm not here for all that. God don't expect us to be dirt poor to be holy. And again, you ain't going to buy his blessings, and he ain't going to fill your pockets with millions of dollars. And if he does, praise God for that. But he's not in, into all of that stuff. What he desires is that we be obedient, humble, and willing. He desires that we, we, we surrender and submit ourselves to him there were, there were, uh, these were by no means uh, innocent people. Their, their lives were ravaged by decisions that they had made and most, most probably lived for themselves, grabbing what they could and crushing who they can to get what they want. But it's the sick who need a physician. No matter if it's imposed by life or self-inflicted, when they come to realize the need, or when they, when they come to realize that this is what I need, I need Jesus, guess what they do? They leave the castle, and they run to the cave. We are content in the castle. I'm not, I'm not saying go run out to, to a wood somewhere and, and dig yourself a hole and 
isolate all, all David Koresh style. No, I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about surrendering your life, submitting yourself to the Lord God Almighty. David was in the same boat and needed the same thing. He needed refuge. And David found himself surrounded by 400 men of whom he became their captain. He was seeking a hiding place and he ended up with much more. He went from lonely to a leader. 400 men who were stressed out rebels with empty pockets and angry creditors on their trail. I'm going to tell you right now, if that ain't an army who's ready to lay it all on the line, I don't know what is. I ain't got nothing to lose. Kind of sounds like the church. We were oppressed by the devil. We were rebels against God in our own selves. And we were spiritually bankrupt. And the spirit of the world constantly hounded us with claims to our souls. But I ran to the cave. And my captain is the Lord of hosts. This story, if you will, it represents Christ who uh, he, 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 he draws us to Him and He desires for us to come into Him and find rest. And all of, all of Israel was aware that David had been anointed king and they knew that he had killed Goliath. Saul's own son had befriended to protect David, but only 400 men were willing to be identified with David. There were only 400 that was willing to share his rejection and separation from Saul's reign. Because I want to tell you something, when you draw the line, if you say the name Jesus, they think you're crazy already. It, it's one thing to be, uh, it was one thing to be an Israelite in the castle, but it, was, it took commitment to be one in the cave with David. Don't think that I'm saying again, make yourself by better, uh, giving better efforts or, or, or separation makes you more holy and righteous. That's not the case at all. Because we can't do those things. I'm counted righteous by one way. That's through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm counted holy by one way. That's in Christ Jesus. Not by what I do, where I go, or how much I may separate myself. Or sabbaticals, or whatever you want to call them. We become holy and righteous through the fa our faith in Christ and Him crucified. Not by our separation. A soldier acts during battle doesn't make him a hero. Heroic acts are manifestations of a heroic character. Hear me. We want to say actions make you this. No, it's in you. I don't, I don't, if we see somebody in need, we just act upon that need. Not to, not to be called, hey, you're a, it's just there. You just do it. It's the Christ that's in us. All the Israelites knew that, again, David was king by God's command. So in a sense, they were believers also. But the difference between them and the 400 at Adullam, the difference between the believer clinging to the comfort of the castle and the ones who were sold out to Christ, the difference is what Christ is able to accomplish through their lives. They were willing and they were ready. I'll leave it all for the cause of Christ. And you can read of those men who were with David. You can read in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. They were mighty men of valor. They were trained for war. Who could handle the shield and the sword. Uh, their faces were like the faces of lions. They were swift like gazelles on the mountains. And, and he who was the least was equal to a hundred. And the greatest to a thousand. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 23, their stories are told. Men like Eleazar who stood alone and struck down the Philistine until the, uh, the muscles in his hand were so weary that his hand clung to the sword. Or Benaniah who slid down into a snow-lined uh, uh, snow pit to kill the lion and, and to keep his friends safe from the attack at night. Or the three unnamed men who overheard David mumbling to himself that he was thirsty and he longed for a drink so they went into the enemy's fortified town and they fought their way through the Philistines and drew water from their well to bring it to David to serve to their king. This is not about a person. We're talking about our dedication to Christ. Remember, a type of Christ. David was a type of Christ. We're looking at Christ. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And that's what people will say until it becomes uncomfortable. Or until it becomes a little tough. Until you get a little pushback. Ooh, I thought we were friends. I thought you were my friend on Facebook that I never met in my whole entire life. You're number 2,782. But now you're telling me that, that this ain't scriptural. So I'm just old, I don't know what to do, preacher. There's this little button called unfriend. See ya. Listen, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. And that's it. There's, there's, there's nothing else. And it may, it may take you to a place that you consider to be a cave, and it's lonely, and it's whatever it is, but it's a place of learning, a place of teaching, a place of correction from the Lord, a place that He'll send people your way that will walk right there with you. These actions, they're recorded to teach us, to show us that there is no earthly limit to what the Holy Spirit can do through a willing and surrendered heart. It takes faith. It takes faith. It takes faith to run to the cave. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight of the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I ask this question to you today. If you're in the castle, would you give it up for the cake? Hear me clear. I'm not talking about your, 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 your bank account. No, I'm talking, we're talking spiritually. Because the church has become this, complacent. And if anything that has happened since March of 2020 is that he has, I feel, the Lord has got the attention of the church to let you know that you're too complacent. I've heard pastors say this, that, whatever. I've heard them talking about they've been forced to, to they haven't changed the gospel, hear me clear, but change thinking, I would just open the doors and everybody come flooding on in. And they've been forced to preach the gospel from any and everywhere. I want to tell you this morning, don't be afraid to leave Saul's castle and run to the cave. I want to sing as musicians come 
I want to turn to, to uh, Psalm 63. And, uh, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm sure it's going to magically appear. This is the same man here. This is the same man that's, that, that, that that's wrote this psalm. It's a prayer of a thirsting soul, if you will. This is the man who is willing to leave it all to pursue what the Lord had placed in his heart. And he said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Even though I'm surrounded by circumstances that seem absolutely impossible, I know my source and it's you. And my soul thirsts for you, Lord. My soul longs for you, Lord, to see your power and your glory. So I have seen you in the sanctuary because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. This is coming from a man who, who went from, from, from a, a king to a refugee. to a, He was always anointed back to king to a leader of 400 distraught people to now a, a man after God's own heart who was used mightily by the Lord. But it didn't come through being complacent. It didn't come through being lazy. It didn't come through setting still. It came through surrendering himself to God Almighty. Verse 5 says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. My soul, hear you, my soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. Is that you today? Is this your, Lord, I'm leaving everything for all that you have. You're not really leaving anything. You're gaining it all. Will you follow hard after Him today? I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest and forthright, which is usually what we are here, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I can tell you what will happen if the church continues on the track that it's on. more turmoil there's more chaos surrender what is so difficult about that what, what is it that keeps you from surrendering to him is it, could, it, could it be this that you think I think I can handle it better and I've been trying to handle it for 15 years and I ain't handled it yet, but I think tomorrow's going to be the day. No, nah, it ain't going to happen. What, what is it that keeps us from surrender? I want to tell you what it is. It's called pride. And pride is sinful. 
He wants your heart. All of it. All of it. Point to stand this morning. How are you feel the Lord drawing? If you don't know the Lord Jesus is your personal Savior, today's your day. Surrender your life to Him. We should desire, listen, we should desire every single week. Come, I'm ready to get to the house of the Lord with my brothers and sisters. I want to tell them about a soul that surrendered to Christ. This should, this should, this should drive us. Tomorrow's Monday, i got to go to work. You should be happy because you have Christ dwelling in you. And you know that somebody needs to hear the good news. You know that somebody needs to hear about Jesus. And you should make it your desire. I am going to be so glad to get to the house of worship on Wednesday night. And I want to stand up and say, praise God, my co-worker came home to be in the cave. <laughs> Today, I don't know how he's drawing you, but I want you to respond. Because he wants some of you to leave your castle. Come to the cave. Come to your place of refuge. That's Christ. That's where you'll find him. Come this morning.
Savior, my King and my Lord, I love you with all that I am. In my lowest point in my life, I thank God that He took me and allowed me to enter into that place of refuge. I thank God that He kept me and delivered me from bondage after bondage after bondage. That I can sing this song not from my head but from my heart. All of my life you've been faithful My Savior, my King and my statement, a proclamation, or whatever it may be. But I said it several weeks ago, I'm determined for Lakeside Church to break custom. To, for us to love Him with all that we are. I look back nearly eight years ago and all I say is, wow, God, you're faithful. But I know there's more. I know he's not finished. And I'm telling you, don't be comfortable in the castle. Run to your refuge. Run to Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your challenge, Lord, that we run to you, that we find rest in you. We surrender our lives to you. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that are all over this nation, in fact, all over this world, as they preach the glorious gospel. Lord, that you anoint those who will hear, anoint their ear and their heart to receive, Lord. Lord, we're asking for an outpouring of your spirit. We're asking for souls to come in by the millions to be saved, Lord. To come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
I know this morning that uh, some of you may be waiting around, but they drew early and they drew my name. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, they didn't draw my name, but uh, they're coming to do that. And if you, does anybody, before they come, need to want to buy one? All the, you wonder what proceeds go, 